Hey, it's Nat Tenchich here with you and can I tell you something? I have been absolutely loving the latest season of Sex Education on Netflix. I have been binging it like crazy. For the uninitiated, it's about this young teenage boy named Otis and his mum who's a sex therapist. And he starts a little clinic at school where he charges his fellow students for the sex advice that he's absorbed from his mum. But it's so much more than that. It's a show about the perils of being in high school, about knowing so much about sex and being so curious about it and yet having absolutely no experience and dealing with all of the messy things that come with being in high school. Dating, love, vaginismus. For this bonus episode of The Hookup, I had the pleasure of catching up with the creator and writer behind the show, Laurie Nunn. Just before we get started too, this interview contains a lot of spoilers for season two of Sex Education. So if you haven't finished it, go watch it and then come back to this one. All right, here's Laurie. I love hearing your Aussie accent. (laughs) I'm half Australian, so it makes me feel very at home. Yeah, you went to school here, right? Yeah, I did. so I did my teenage schooling in Australia and then I did my first university degree in Melbourne so, and then moved back to the UK. Do you feel like there's much of an Aussie like high school flavour in sex education? Because like, I feel like that show is very placeless, um, but I don't know, do, do you inject anything Australian in there? I don't know. I, sometimes I wonder whether the fact that it feels a bit placeless is because I've lived in both countries because I lived in like the UK and Australia so I I sometimes I wonder if it's because I can't really place my school experience so Mm. it just sort of sits in this sort of strange world but yeah I always imagine it like it's supposed to be a comic book where these teenagers exist it's not a real place but it seemed to confuse a lot of people (laughs) when it came out I mean, I think that's kind of like very true of the teen genre anyway, that it's like when you're a teenager and you're watching so much like American teen TV, your teen experience does kind of feel placeless anyway. I kind of want to talk a bit about that. But first, I just want to hear like, what has the reaction been like to season two so far? I think it feels pretty positive. Getting some good feedback and um, particularly um, a lot of people who are part of the asexual community have been getting in contact because we haven't we introduced an asexual character into the show and um, I think they're, they're very happy about that, which is lovely to hear. Yeah, I think one thing about this season is that it's done like such a great job with these really truthful definitions of some lesser seen sexualities. I really liked that you got pansexuality right when like Big Mouth got it really wrong a few months ago, um, which was really heartening to see. Like, Why do you think that is so important to nail at this time? I think it's because people, like the younger people who are watching the show, and actually anyone of any age, they, I think why we watch TV is because we want to see ourselves reflected in some way. I think that's why I watched Um, teen shows when I was younger and you know I think the conversations around intersectionality and LGBTQI plus like it's all changing so rapidly and I think that TV's just really got to sort of step up and sort of show that representation I think it's really important to people Um, but at the same time I also in a way I sort of feel for the big mouth people because I think it's really easy to to get it wrong because you because we don't know everything and we're all learning, you know, and, um, but, you know, we work with um, sex educators who consult on our scripts and we try really, really hard to get the information as, as right as possible in the show. Um, but then also sort of understanding that everybody 
within those sort of brackets, like sit in spectrum. So we're never going to have a character that's going to completely represent someone because everybody's experience is so different. Yeah, I think that's good too, like the way that there are some characters that you just don't put a particular name on or, or say like that's actually exactly what they are or maybe they're still working that out as well because, you know, when it comes to sexuality, we know that it's fluid and, and indefinable for a lot of people and everybody, one pansexual looks different to another, you know? Mm, completely. I think um, we have a character in the show called Lily um, and I think she very much we've not really gone into yet sort of what what her how she would identify herself and to be honest I'm not even sure whether Lily would want to be put in a box Mm. I I think she's just Lily and she's 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 yet to sort of figure that out and actually as as the writer of the show I'm like I'm not sure whether she she might not want to figure it out that might not be something she wants to do so um it'll be interesting to see where she goes I think in the next series yeah, that's something I very much feel about her character. She feels like her own sort of thing and her own sort of entity. And she goes through a pretty interesting journey in this season as well, like learning about her vaginismus and and why she is having trouble fulfilling the sexual desire that she so badly wants. Do you see your show kind of performing as a bit of actual sex education for your audience? You know, like have you had people responding and going, oh, I learned about vaginismus now um, thanks to the show or like that has like opened my mind to something I might have myself? Yeah, actually, um, someone messaged me on Instagram yesterday saying that they were at a train station in London and they heard two teenage boys talking about Lily's vaginismus at the station. And they were like, nah, nah, bruv, like some girls, they just can't get it in. They just can't get it in. The vagina just shuts up. It just shuts up. And I was like, that's incredible. Like people, like young boys now know what it is. Now I didn't even know what it was before. So I'm hoping that, uh, um, yeah, that it can, some kind of educational element will uh, go through that. And I'm very sorry for my incredibly bad uh, English lad accent. <laughs> That's amazing to hear though. That makes me so happy for like the future of, um, you know, young people and and sex education and, like, them knowing what's out there. But I I think something that's quite interesting about this generation, I guess, is that so much of this stuff is out there and researchable. And, I mean, even, I guess, when I was in my teens, like, there would be a lot of information. But I think the good thing about sex education, your show, is that it really balances that that thing that I think this generation has where they have access to a lot of info but not a lot of experience, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, um, obviously the advent of the access to porn is something that um, as a writing team, it's always there and I think it's it's interesting when I'm writing the show and working with the other writers in terms of how we try and navigate that because you never want to feel preachy or like you're saying what you're learning in porn is wrong because young people are watching porn older people are watching porn everyone's watching porn and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but it is also really important that young people know that there's like other avenues to get information about how to have healthy sex and relationships and so I think we're, we're constantly sort of treading that um, fine line uh, of, you know, trying to explore that subject matter. Yeah, and can can do it in a way that's, like like you said, isn't preachy but is still, you know, really, like, nice and lovely and entertaining and funny and uh, heartwarming in in a lot of ways that it can just still be a good show and also have all this bonus sex ed content. 
Yeah, I think I think the fact that it's a comedy first and foremost is really helpful because um you know whenever we're putting forward a sex scene that's always the rule it's like it either has to really be driving our story forward or it has to be really funny and I think that that allows us to talk about some of the subject matter in a way that um uh, we sort of sneak in the educational element because hopefully people are laughing yeah yeah I mean you hope that's kind of the point um where, where does the inspiration for the sex stories and issues that you cover on the show come from um it's a real sort of combination of things I mean um very often because I run a writer's room for every series and um, so it's myself and I have about six other writers and my script editor and my story producer and it's a very sort of safe space we do a lot of sharing a lot of talking about our own experiences when we were teenagers Um, I always try and bring it back to really at the core of the show we need to be saying what did we want to know when we were 16 and I think when we come back to that it's usually quite universal in terms of what are those core sort of misunderstandings that we had and what are the things that we want to answer. Um, obviously, a lot of very, like, funny stories come out of that. Some things where I'm like, that has to stay in the room forever. We can never repeat that again. <laughs> um, and uh, and then, we yeah, we work with sex educators as well. So we have, um, they'll come into the room and they will really talk to us about what what is important for younger people to know about. And then they consult in the scripts and make sure that we've got all that information correct. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, sometimes as well when we're writing the stories, w- w- like a sort of certain theme will come out of an episode in terms of what's happening with Otis or Maeve or Adam and Eric. And then we will find like a sex story of the week that sort of fits in with that theme. So that's another way that sometimes we look at those, those particular sex issues. You know, you're saying you're talking about like covering what you wanted to know when you were 16, um, which is and, and I wonder, like, obviously, you've got another season coming, probably. Do you feel like you've covered it all or is there still so much more to mine there? I think there's, yeah, so much more to mine. I don't know, like, it's strange. Before I wrote the show, I never thought that I'd be someone that would write about sex. Um, But now I just find it endlessly fascinating. I'm sort of like, oh, I just want to write about this forever because I think it's just so fundamental to being human. And yet, like, we're all sort of fumbling apart. Like, I feel like I don't, I hardly know anything and I write about it every day. So I think there's so much more that can be talked about and discovered. I'm going to change tack a little bit here because, you know, I think a big theme with season two, um, it had a real big focus on consent and sexual boundaries Mm. and assault. And um, that's where a lot of the conversation online has sort of been directed after the premiere of the season. Um, For listeners who might not have seen it, spoiler alert, but I'll recap for you. There is a storyline where Amy is uh, sexually assaulted on the bus. in, in a way that I think is quite, like, the I, what I found really truthful about it all was the banality of assault, I suppose. We see um, these sorts of things represented on screen usually. It's like the most dramatic possible um, representation and it's, and it's, it's, every cliche you can imagine and it's violent or whatever. But, but this sort of thing is so ubiquitous and it's really part of girls and women's lives and you make it quite normal like what I even thought was really real was when Amy like had trouble recognizing that what happened to her was actually assault like why was it important for you to show what that kind of everyday harassment and assault really looks like um well that particular storyline came from something very personal that happened in my life so it was something I knew I wanted to write about um I guess in a cathartic sense 
I didn't know which character I wanted to explore it with. And then when I sort of landed on Amy, I sort of horrible thing to say, but I realized she was sort of the perfect vehicle for it because she's so open and sunny and just like, she's just joy. And the storyline is very much about her sort of realizing for the first time that the world isn't an equal place for men and women. And she sort of loses her innocence a little bit. And I think that, uh, most women that I know have had that moment and I think that that's such a sad, sad reality. Um, but I also think that we just walk around, we carry it around with us all the time. And I always think about this thing about when I walk home at night and I am sure you do this, I'm sure all women do, but where you just carry your key, like I put my keys in my hand mm. and I'm like, oh, I'm like, re- like ready to get in the door or like stab someone in the neck. And I don't think anyone taught me to do that. So I don't know where that, I don't know where that, inner kind of fear comes from but I think that all women just have it and we carry it with us and we accept it and I think with all the conversations around me too and which are amazing about you know power dynamics and what's happening in the workplace and all of that stuff I think that conversation has also made me sort of almost break out of this almost like a psychosis and go hang on like every woman I know has had this experience but yet nobody's doing anything we all just live with it and I really wanted to write about that and yeah I mean but then again it was finding a way to do it within the tone of the show and I think Amy Lou Woods who is really confusing she's got the same name as Amy Mm. but uh, the actor she um she's just so beautiful in that part and she still manages to make us laugh she's still like able to be really funny even in that like real deep sort of pain and trauma so, um, yeah, I'm really proud of that storyline. Yeah, and, and I think what's really interesting, you know, you mentioned Me Too and you sort of almost take the opposite tack with Otis in this season. You know, he really, like, struggles, I think, with being a good guy and not knowing, like, who he's entitled to or how all of that kind of consent and speaking properly about what he actually wants and the women in it what the women in his life want like that he really struggles with that and almost becomes a little bit hard to stay on side with at times why did you go in that direction with him um I've always known that that would be the direction that I would sort of head with Otis because I think in series one he's so sort of um I don't know he's just that sort of geeky sort of virgin character that we've seen so many times before and and then once those like that the hormones sort of kick in once he's kind of overcome his like sexual block I think I really wanted to look at how do you, as a young man in the world when the conversations around consent and sex and power and all of this stuff is changing so rapidly how do you keep a center in yourself at the same time as like your body is changing your hormones are changing everything sort of feels mad and I just thought that was a really interesting sort of thing to look at with Otis. And um, and I think he's really asking himself, you know, how do I be a good man? And I think maybe a lot of people are asking that or maybe should be. Will we see him work that out? Uh, well, if we get a series through Fingers Crossed, <laughs> we don't know yet. Um, but uh, I have hope for him. I have hope for Otis. I think he's a, I think he is a good, you know, he's a good dude. That he's just gotta gotta go, you know. But also, part of that's just being a teenager. It's not even completely. It's not just a male experience. I think, you know, God, I was a absolute little dickhead when I was fifteen. 
interesting. So <laughs> I think it's just, yeah, it's just it's the teenage experience, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is It is absolutely part and parcel of the genre. Um, so, something else that is part and parcel of the genre is not communicating properly. And I think it's quite funny that the hero of this show, I feel more than anything, is like therapy and actually communicating well. Do you think it's, A, something that's been missing from the teen genre, but also something that we should be encouraging young people to do more often? Yeah, I think we need to be um, encouraging young people to do it. But to be honest, I think just everyone needs to be encouraged to do it more. And and actually, in some ways, when I, I've got younger, I'm in my early 30s and I've got younger siblings who are sort of in their early 20s. And I look at them and I think, they they communicate a lot better than I did when I was their age. So I think that already things are really changing and they're so much more aware of the conversations and sort of knowing that they've got to really do the hard work to make a difference or make a change. But yeah, I just think communication, honesty, vulnerability, it's just will make the world a better place, which makes me sound like such a wanker, but I do, I believe it, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it too. I think that's actually a very nice uh, place to end it. Um, but Laurie, okay. thank you so much for taking the time out to, to have a chat with us. Oh, thank you. Really nice to chat.